Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. I'm your host, Daniel Ocho. Today I am joined by NFL Mike. He is a content creator. He is a TikToker. Uh, he makes content about the USFL and NFL, and he was kind enough to join the show today to talk about USFL Week 1, uh, break down some of the matchups, and look ahead to Week 2, and uh, talk about some of the value we may have there in betting on some of these teams. So before we get into that, I wanted to first break down some of the five best ways that you can improve as an NFL better this year. And these are just big picture concepts that some people may not know about, um, or they just don't think about when they're sort of throwing down tons of money every week on football. Um, football is one of the hardest sports to win at gambling. So I think some of these tips may help you be a more informed better this football season. So without further ado, let's jump into the show. Let's start off the show this week with this week's big idea. What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, egghead? Most people suck at betting football. I'm sorry to tell you, that's just the way it is. Me, most people, if there are people who are really good at betting football, they're selling their picks for like $1,000 a week. Those subscription plans, uh, think Warren Sharp, think that guy who's always on Barstool, a Stu Finer, um, and even some of those guys, their picks aren't always money. Part of the reason is the books have gotten so goddamn good at setting these lines, setting over-unders, that there's not a lot of value to be had there. So how do we, normal people, not Vegas-branded system makers or Warren Sharps of the world or Stu Finers of the world, how do we actually make money betting on football? Today I'm going to talk to you about five core concepts that will help you become a more informed better this year. Let's dig in. The first concept I want to talk to you about is the idea of avoiding betting the board. And listen, this is a lot easier said than done. When it gets to week one of college football or the NFL, I am as tempted as anyone to just go and bet every single game. But you have to understand that this is not really a winning formula. If you want to win money over the course of the season, betting every single game is just not the way to do it. It's a losing pathway. You're just exposing yourself to too much risk. And the way that these lines are juiced now, it's just not a pathway to you being happy with your, your winnings by the end of the season, let alone week to week. Now, I don't mean that you can never bet the board because that's ridiculous. I, I am one of those people who, especially when college football rolls out, I am just dying to put in a million short money, uh, short unit bets. But I just think that if you're doing this week after week and you get into like week 10 or late in the season, you're going to realize that part of the reason you're losing is because you feel the need to put money on every single game. So I guess the, the real advice here is to focus in on big matchups or matchups where you think there is an inherent edge. Don't just try to say, I need to have something going at all times today, especially on Saturdays with college football. This is something that always pops up. People want to have some sort of action from 12 o'clock noon all the way through the West Coast Pac-12 after dark games. And as fun as that is, uh, if you're really exposing yourself to a large amount of money, you're betting a lot of units on those. That is a quick pathway to burning out all your funds on gambling and putting yourself in a pretty shitty situation early on in the year. Let's move on now to my second tip, and that is player props. Bet player props. I'm not saying that there's some magic, inherent, more winning formula in player props. But what I am saying is over-unders and the lines that Vegas puts out now, they're really, really good at setting these lines. They're really, really good at setting these over-unders. Many years ago, before uh, 
there were all these algorithms that were pumping out these numbers, there was some value to be made here on betting these over-unders. You used to see a lot of like the Billy Walters types, Billy Walters and prolific gambler, sort of getting value on these over-unders, getting value on some of these college football uh, point totals or spreads. But we're long past those days. At this point, the football gambling market is so tremendous that there's really not a lot of value to be had in those huge markets of spreads and over-unders. So if you find yourself constantly losing on spreads or money line parlays, think about getting into player props. And the reason is because player props are sort of a more easily discernible market. They're smaller. Um, it's obviously a growing market with a lot of the legalization that's gone on. But at the same time, player props are something that they're more tangible. So if you're somebody who's just getting into sports betting and you let's say you've done fantasy football your whole life, you're at least familiar with identifying opportunity, identifying things to look for in a player for when they might succeed in a particular matchup. So for example, um, especially with player props, you can look at teams that are terrible against the tight end. Nobody ever wants to bet tight end player props because they're kind of gross. Nobody wants to bet on whoever the 17th best tight end is. But for me, I'm always looking for those kind of edges, especially when I'm doing player props late in the season, because as the season progresses, we start to see certain schemes are susceptible to certain positional groups. So while that's obviously not something you're always going to be able to be keyed into, I think about a team like the Raiders from maybe it was two or three years ago. This was a team that could not cover a tight end for the life of them. And there's always these teams every single year. So one thing to look for is to potentially bet on a backup tight end or a starting tight end to score a touchdown against these tight end leery defenses. Because if that prop hits you can really have a nice payout, um, especially if you try to hit on one of these backup tight ends. So I'm thinking someone like Donald Parham uh, on the Chargers. He's a guy who, um, if you look at that offense, especially last year, that was an offense in the Chargers that really relied heavily on their tight ends. So this year, going into the year, I'm going to look at some of those tight ends and try to identify matchups that are really valuable and that could produce a lot of value if I'm betting player props. The same thing kind of applies to running backs. A lot of times you'll see running back yardage totals, um, and it's a little bit different when you have sort of a locked and loaded running back, starting running back there. But a lot of times with the NFL, the way it is now, players get injured. You have a lot of backup running backs. Think of Dearness Johnson last year. Dearness Johnson was a guy on the Browns who stepped in immediately whenever he was called upon and crushed it. His player props were amazing. After the first game, you really couldn't get a lot of value out of him because he's just overperformed so much. But that first game he started on a Thursday night, I think he had over 100 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And if you had just hammered all his player props that week, almost definitely you, you would have profited uh, because there was some expectation that he would be the lead back that week, but nobody expected that he would sort of dominate at the level that he did. So now let's move on to my third big point here. Parlays are for suckers. I know, I know, I know how it sounds. But they are. Parlays are one of the funnest things to do. They're one of the funnest bets to make, but they really are a sucker's bet. Okay, here's, here's what I mean. Let's say that a house has a 5% edge on you on any particular bet. So now you put together three bets in a parlay. All of a sudden, we're talking about a 15% edge for the book. Obviously, your winning percentage, your, your winning expectation is also increased on a commensurate level. Um, but if I told you right now that the book had a 15% edge against you on any straight up bet, are you going to take that bet? Don't answer that question. I'm afraid of what the answer might be, but it should be no. You shouldn't. You should be thinking about it like this. You should be thinking that you do not want to give the book any unnecessary edges, and that's what parlays really are. There's a reason why 
all these books as they expand into new states are hammering people over the head with these same game parlays. Oh, bet all these crazy combinations because look at how much money you can win on a small bet. But at the same time, these are really like worse than scratch off odds. Don't be a scratch off NFL better. There are so many of them out there. And especially with all these books going mainstream now and offering all these same game parlays, they are going to try to wrap people into this scratch off betting, immediate satisfaction, 11 leg, same game parlay world. And it's just not a good bet. So if you find yourself every week disappointed, one leg short of a big payday, Try to just do straight money bets. Try to just uh, put a few of these straight bets together, um, even if it's a prop, whatever it is. I think that's a more straightforward path to success with these bets. Fourth, you need to double down on what's working for you and stop hemorrhaging on bad bets, right? So let's say you are somebody, as you're betting weekly, who is really good at picking underdogs, money line underdogs. Each week, you can kind of see that there's a game where somebody is going to upset a favorite, um, and you can have some value there in the underdog. You need to start doubling down on what works for you and avoiding falling into the trap of doing these parlays and these betting the board situations. You need to start to say, okay, every week, this is what I have identified as a skill of mine. I can point out every week um, where an underdog is going to outright win. And let's say you hit at a 60% clip on those. That may be enough to put you in the black over the course of a season. Obviously, it's not a guarantee by any means, but you have to think about it like this because, listen, there are certain areas where you're just going to get bludgeoned odds-wise, but if you are somebody who can identify a skill of your own uh, in terms of gambling, it really is valuable to sort of lean into what works for you and avoid all these sexy bets that the sportsbook want you to make. You want to be the guy that they don't want to bet. You don't want to be the number one customer who they are so glad is making another parlay this week. So double down on what works for you and stop hemorrhaging money on bad bets. My fifth and final point is to learn about Wong teasers. I'm going to do a longer segment on these, but Wong teasers are these teasers that are sort of uh, statistically based by this guy, Stanford Wong. He was a professional gambler, and they are one of my favorite bets in the world. Uh, for those who don't know what a teaser is, it's when you can adjust the line total uh, usually by six or seven points, either way, um, up or down, um, whether it's the over, under, or the actual point spread. So with the NFL, usually this is a minus 110 or minus 120 bet because you have to put two of these adjusted totals together. So Stanford Wong developed a system where basically you can identify plus estimated value bets. Uh, for teasers. And the way this works is you're really looking for home underdogs or home favorites, and you're looking for point spreads in the plus one to plus two and a half. So those are the underdogs you want to take. Then on the other side of it, if you can get a favorite uh, who's favored anywhere from minus eight and a half to minus seven, those are the lines you want to jump on as well. You also want to only bet the Wong teaser where um, the over under in the game is set to 49 or lower. And the reason for that is because that's where these additional six points are the most valuable. It sounds kind of convoluted to sort of talk about here, but in practice, the Wong teaser is one of the funnest bets to make because you can take an underdog who is a plus two and a half point underdog and turn that into a plus eight and a half point underdog. Now, all of a sudden you're crossing three and crossing seven, two of the key numbers in gambling. Um, and when I say key numbers, these are numbers that pop up most often, especially in football scoring. Um, so there is more value in crossing both of these numbers than in just making a regular bet or adjusting the total. 
And the same thing with favorites, right? So if you have a favorite who is a minus eight and a half point favorite and you tease that down to minus two and a half with a six point tease, you are again crossing seven and three, two key numbers. And there is estimated value in that for you as a better. So think about these long teasers. I'll do a longer bit on these as we approach the season, but this is just something to keep in mind. Uh, these tips are sort of aimed at making you think about the NFL and think about how you're betting the board this year in a different way. I'm going to be on with NFL Mike after this, and we're going to be talking about some of these spreads in these USFL games. And I can tell you that when the spreads first came out in these USFL games, it was so strange. They all came out as one and a half point uh, favorites. Every game, every line was set at 53 and a half over under. Um, All those lines have since dropped in part because I think people remembered just how messy the offenses were in the AAF and XFL the first few weeks. But some of the rules of the USFL also make it strange to bet on these because you can theoretically go for a three-point conversion after a touchdown in the USFL. All of a sudden, some of the key numbers we talked about before, seven and three, aren't so key uh, given the scoring of the USFL. So I'm dying for there to be teasers on these games because this is a messy league and there is some value in crossing what I guess we would previously consider key numbers here. I think that uh, a lot of these games have been close and a lot of them will continue to be close. And I think that if we can get some teasers on these games, I think there's a lot of money to be made there, Uh, especially with some of the over-unders. You can tease some of these scores to a higher over-under and cash in on the fact that these guys are not NFL offenses. So they are not going to be operating at that same level. So that wraps up my five tips for making yourself a more informed NFL gambler this season. Without further ado, I'm joined by NFL Mike to preview and talk about this past week's USFL games. We'll start off with the Houston Gamblers and the Michigan Panthers. Uh, So what did you think of that matchup this week? Man, I was so disappointed in the Michigan Panthers. I thought that they had a pretty good roster, and I thought that they were going to be a flashy offense. And they were, but it just seems like at times they were trying to be a bit too flashy. A couple of bad turnovers by Shea early on in the game. I disagree with benching him and then bringing in Paxton Lynch and then bringing Shea Patterson back out. He played a lot better in the second half, but man, those, those sloppy plays early on in the game really cost the Panthers, got them in a hole that they couldn't get out of. I was really disappointed to see that Jeff Fisher in his time away from the sport is still doing Jeff Fisher things like pulling his quarterback and throwing in a second quarterback. And, uh, just seeing him do it again, I was immediately reminded how this guy almost ruined Jared Goff and basically made him an unusable asset. Um, right. And and I was honestly disappointed in um, in Shea and in Paxton Lynch, but I kind of always thought they stunk. So it, it wasn't too <laughs> shocking to me to see them sort of fumbling the ball, two fumble sixes from them and nine fumbles for the Michigan uh, team altogether. Insane, insane numbers, very sloppy football. Yeah, you got to give some credit to the Houston Gamblers defense. They were all over them. They were there to capitalize on the Panthers' mistakes. But it did seem like the Panthers probably were the more talented team. Kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit in that game. Yeah, I mean, the the Panthers came into this season as one of the favorites. um, And I think that NFL pedigree from Fisher is sort of informing that. Um, And also, they have NFL talent theoretically on that roster and and some of their uh, position players as well as those two quarterbacks. Um, But I'm starting to wonder whether we are overvaluing that Michigan Panthers team. And I know it's week one, um, but I think that we may have seen uh, Shea Patterson and Paxton Lynch and thought, okay, this should be a team that should be able to figure it out. But nine fumbles from a team week one, and I understand they only had three weeks to practice. Yeah. I don't know. It just it strikes yeah. me as something that is going to rear its ugly head over and over again. Obviously, they're not going to fumble the ball nine times every week. 
But nonetheless, I, I just think it's something that um, is indicative of how this team may be operating this year. Yeah, and where they're struggling is just such strong points of failure. Their O-line and their quarterbacks failed. Like I said, I don't think that this team is going to go 0-10. I still think that they're going to win some games because at quarterback, they do have guys that can put it together minus the turnovers. But, man, they got to get those turnovers down. Otherwise, this team won't even make whatever the playoffs are going to be for the USFL. <laughs> yeah. So so one of the things that I was sort of taking away from, from all this was um, just watching all these games this weekend, a lot of these quarterbacks, you see why they're not making it in the NFL. You see the inability to finish drives. And I was so struck by that just across all three games that we did see played this weekend, where so many of these quarterbacks just struggled. These offenses really just, when you got down in the red zone, had a lot of difficulty converting these high leverage situations into points. A lot of inconsistencies. And then on top of it, the kickers weren't doing so great. So it's not even like you were capping off those drives with three points. The kickers were also selling on them. So it was that look. Yes. It was that it was bad all around as far as uh offensive efficiency. Defenses definitely took over. What did you think of Clayton Thorson? Because his his performance was very mixed to me. He showed some some talent, some flashes there in the first half, but then for whatever reason just shut it down and, and stopped being aggressive. Maybe you just felt like with the lead that they just need to play it really safe. That, that's really what I think was going on there. Yeah. I think this this is one of those things. There's, we're seeing a lot of conservative play calling, a lot of conservative sort of. There's a reason that a lot of these guys are cast outs from the NFL coaching-wise and player-wise. And I think part of that is there's going to be a lot of conservative play calling and conservative management of these players. It, it was pretty interesting to me to see a lot of these quarterbacks switching back and forth. Um, I, I know that. Uh, particularly in the New Jersey game uh, the night before. We saw a lot of quarterback switching. Um, I had it written down, the, yeah. the the Stallions quarterback, Jamar Smith. To me, he stood out so significantly. He seemed to me the, the funnest quarterback to watch because he was really leveraging his legs and mobility in a way that really worked and, and made that offense fun to watch, one of the funner offenses, mm-hmm. offenses to watch this weekend. Yeah, and I think with, if they would have been able to keep Alex Magoo in there, I know he had like an injury just slash maybe they wanted to make a change at quarterback anyways. Uh, I don't know how well that game goes for them. The generals were moving the ball on offense. It just wasn't like dominant like they could have been, I think, if they kept yeah. rising a little bit more. I think they really should use DeAndre Johnson. That rushing game with him was good, but I think yeah. use it in situations. You don't need to use it for an entire half of football. Go ahead and for let sure. Luis Perez, who had 175 QBR in the game, yeah. play in the game I mean, this guy, and he also got ready in like a week yeah it's it's, it's, very, it's impressive. very impressive very he impressive the best quarterback this weekend and he got the least amount of playing time for sure I, I think that people were sort of expecting this to be a Jordan Tamu Shea Patterson uh, yeah. weekend and at least for me I watch Shea Patterson and I'm like there's a reason this guy sucks like I, I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm confident he could he certainly has the ability to come back from this but I'm watching this and I'm like this guy is not nearly as good as either of the quarterbacks yeah. as far as I was concerned that I watched the night before in the, the Stallions game and the Generals game. Um, so, so let's sort of circle back to that uh, Stallions versus Generals game. Uh, what were your sort of big takeaways from that first opening night game? For one, it was an electric game. That was the best way to open it up. So they definitely for picked sure. the right matchup to do it. They got Luis Perez, who's kind of a little bit more of a known name for being in these spring leagues left yeah. and right. So they got him in front of everybody for the first game, and he, and he showed out. He came through for them. Um, exciting game. I feel like uh, the the generals have a talented roster. They got to figure it out on defense. Zamar Smith obviously comes in as a backup and, and looking like Donovan McNabb out there, out there dominating. <laughs> um, he was balling out. I, I really was impressed by what Zamar Smith did, and I think he may have earned himself a starting job next week for sure. Uh, and, and, of course, just being clutch in that last drive. They marched yeah. down the field. 
and then he was patient and made that last play to get into the end zone. So I think that both these teams are good. Both these teams are going to be in contention. Um, the generals just let the other team get the ball last. It didn't work out. I also feel like yeah. slowing it down, like I was saying earlier, they completely slowed it down. They said, this team can't handle our O-line. Maybe they can't. I, I understand using it in spots. But yeah. to take Luis Perez out of the game completely. And by the time we got to the end, I was like, oh, no. They're going to have to throw him back in after yeah. like 30 minutes of no throwing. That was the first time that I really thought that this league was really sort of operating outside of a competitive environment, more so in yeah. this is a showcase for guys who want to make it back in the league. Because at that point, there, there was no real like competitive reason to take out Perez. He, he was operating. And to me, it's like I, I think that the USFL is eventually angling to be sort of a feeder system for the NFL. Mm. And I think this first weekend we saw sort of uh, some of the ways that's coming to fruition in terms of how coaches are prioritizing playing time for certain players um, as opposed to moves that might otherwise create a competitive advantage for them. Yeah, I mean, the only spot that that DeAndre Johnson's style of play in that game really works out is like a Marcus Mariota in Vegas situation behind Derek Carr. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting. It's very it reminded me of that a lot, but times ten. I was pretty shocked at how sort of lively the crowd was for that game. I mean, yeah. Birmingham, uh, they they seem to have like some local support. I understand tickets are ten dollars, but it was a pretty fun, fun environment for the opening game of the season, I thought. Yeah, and the game helped being back and forth the way it was. And the way they opened it up, man, Randy Satterfield, that guy's looking like he might be the star receiver of the league. We'll see if he can re- repeat that performance. But, man, exciting game. I was very yeah. pumped after that game. And the other games were exciting as well. I will say that. But this one was like the cleanest, most NFL-like game in my For opinion. sure. For sure. And I was impressed overall uh, over this first weekend by a lot of the receivers, because uh, especially in the AAF, when you first saw that league come, there was a lot of sloppy receiver play, a lot of drops. Um, but there was some crisp route running this weekend. Um, I thought that a lot of these receivers really made some great plays on high leverage balls, like in the in terms of the end zone, jump balls, stuff like that. Uh, and it, it just makes the sport so much more fun when you have that added extra layer. And that's why like a league like the CFL, um, it has its sort of diehard fans. And part of that is because it is such a pass friendly um offensive scoring league and and it's in a way that they've sort of grown into that over the course of time yeah seeing like joe walter out there seeing randy satterfield uh even lance lenore a little bit in that panthers game it's hard to get into the nfl wide receiver i'll just say yeah that. Uh, for sure look good yeah for sure and, and even if they can catch on like as a practice squad guy at the end of the year i think that's something yep. some of these guys are not going to want to do that because they can maybe uh maximize their social media profile uh by being the star of one of these leagues but i think some of these guys are really just trying to do that they're trying to get onto that practice squad sort of push the roster bubble spot let's jump ahead sort of to the the uh last game that was played sunday which was the philadelphia stars and the new orleans breakers uh the new orleans breakers ended up beating the stars 23 to 17 so what'd you make out what were your, your sort of big takeaways from that game just a disclaimer, I am a Breakers fan for anybody who's about to be biased. <laughs> breakers look good. The Breakers look good. The defense especially looked really good for the Breakers. It took a while for the offense to settle in, but when they did, they showed the O-line led by Paul Adams that I thought was going to be good. And they started pounding the rock when they needed to pound the rock, whether it was QB keepers, whether it was uh, TJ Logan Jr., or whether it was, it was Williams. It could be any of those guys. They all balled out when it came down to it, and they needed to put points on the board. And the defense took care of business early. I was pretty excited for the Breakers because I think that they're the best team. And I actually had Davin Bellamy as my MVP pick of okay. the league. And he went off early in that game. I think he had three and a half sacks in the game, three at least. Yeah. So I was pretty pumped to see that. For the Stars, though, they looked good too. They, they didn't look terrible. I mean, they hung in that game. They hung in tough in that game and just couldn't make the plays 
in the crunch time. Brian Scott looked like a vet, like a USFL veteran, I guess. Yeah, he yeah. is like a pro league, like a semi pro league veteran. So and he looked like it, so that was good. Bar Andrus has a bunch of guys on this team that he's used in other leagues before the spring league or the AAF, wherever it might be before. So there's some familiarity there. I think what hurts that a little bit is is that they kind of have some tape on what yeah. the, the stars are going to try and do this year. But as they practice, as they get better, the team's chemistry probably should be the highest of the team. So I think the stars are going to be contenders. And I think that the breakers are going to be contenders. Um, other than the stallions and the generals, I think that the breakers and stars look the best next. I would agree with that. Um, I think that especially from the stars, there was some sloppy play early on. Um, and they sort of cleaned that up as the game progressed. Um, New Orleans, like you said before, they were really just running running the ball down their throats. They they mm-hmm. had 171 yards rushing and I think it was two touchdowns. Uh, and they they scored twice in succession, which honestly was not happening a lot this weekend. There were not a lot of successive scoring drives. And I think that part of that is we're looking at a lot of these teams, three weeks of a practice time. Things are still a little bit sloppy, especially one thing I did note was, I don't know how much of the XFL you watched a few years ago, but it seemed like the play here, at least compared to the first weekend of the XFL was definitely improved. It, it seemed like at the very least, these teams were a lot smoother operating on offense and on defense. Special teams was a little suspect across the board, but it seems to me that a lot of these teams came in better um, and it wasn't necessarily an NFL level product, but it was certainly not uh, garbage time football. Yeah. Special teams is definitely something to note because I put on my story like early on in the day, early on in the first game of the day, I was like, these kickoff coverages are suspect oh as they get. I am yeah. seeing huge holes open up on every single kickoff return or punt return. Like someone's taking a kickback. And yeah. sure enough, a punt got taken back in the Panthers game, but it got called back. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I was just waiting for it to happen. Hopefully they get to clean up the special teams as they go. The announcers kept going ahead and saying, like, these guys got to play offense and defense or offense or defense and special teams because there's only like 38 man rosters. So maybe that's something like these guys just aren't used to playing special teams. Yeah. I think that's like a skill that a lot of these guys probably were not preparing to have to flex in in these games. And we're going to see more. I enjoy it because I think that's sort of an element of the NFL game. that's sort of gotten washed out in part because teams are just so goddamn good at special teams. Now, like there's so much thought that goes into that. And there's so many specialists that it's almost impossible to develop an edge in that area. So to see a league where, Maybe special teams matters more. Maybe um, we're seeing more kickoff returns, more punt returns. I think that could be a fun way to differentiate itself. Yeah, and if a USFL player wants to get back to the NFL, be the best special teams player in the league. Yeah, That's your best path. That's your best spot. They'll pick you up just for special teams um, if they feel like that you can really contribute. For sure. Um, So now let's sort of move on to the game that got rescheduled to tonight, Mm -hmm. um, the the Tampa versus Pittsburgh Maulers game, uh, 7 p.m. We're recording before that game for the record, um, but this episode will already release like afterwards. But I just want to note here, the USFL kind of drew some shitty luck this weekend. They with the weather and sort of having to reschedule their Mm -hmm. primetime matchup on Sunday night. uh, I think that the delays um, in terms of starting the game, both games yesterday really sort of killed a lot of the hype that they had built from that Saturday game. So what did you make of, of those delays and sort of what are you thinking ahead of tonight's Tampa game? The delays definitely hurt it a little bit. I, I put out a post on the TikTok page. I was like, don't let these delays distract you of what happened in the inaugural game. And if this league yeah. survives, that inaugural game is going to be a historic moment that we look back on for the rest of the USFL's history. Uh, but yeah, it does suck. It put a damper on things, put a cloud on things to put a pun on it. 
but they still got through it. They played that the earlier game in the day when the rain lightened up a little bit, and then I believe it was like blue skies for the entire Breakers versus Stars game, so it worked out. Um, I think that maybe playing tonight might end up being a blessing in disguise. I had a hard time watching the game because of Easter yesterday. I'm not sure if anyone else hanging out with family and stuff. So maybe this Monday night thing might be a little bit of a little blessing in disguise, especially when you got these two quarterbacks squaring off. I think both these guys have some potential to put some fireworks up tonight. So, so you gave me before your MVP pick for this year. Um, who did you have winning it all before the season? I'm biased. I had the breakers winning it all. <laughs> and has that, has that prediction changed at all? Uh, not yet. Now you've no, seen three games. Okay. No, no. <laughs> so, so let's jump ahead a little bit to week two. We have, uh, we have four matchups again. We have the first off the Michigan Panthers versus the New Jersey generals. What are your thoughts sort of previewing that game for next week? He said generals Panthers. Yep. Hey, that'll be interesting. That'll be another game where it's like both these teams have kind of high powered offenses and yeah. they're going to go into it where offense should be the strength of both of the teams. We'll see if Shimmy Shea, as I've been calling him, can just be a little bit less turnover prone. He made some plays, did stuff that none of the other USFL quarterbacks can do with his legs. He just needs to not fall, get up, fumble, and let them return <laughs> it for a touchdown. That is an oh, awful, yeah. like yeah. low light blooper reel play there, Shea. Yeah. You can't, you can't be the number one overall pick in a league and be doing that. It's like one of those things where that's just a skill that you develop over time. And that's sort of what separates yeah. a lot of these guys who work at the NFL level uh, yeah. from the guys who are just extremely talented freak show athletes who sort of flame out a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that on display, especially with Lynch and, and Bolshay on that team. I really think the general should have won that game against the Stallions. They keep least present. If they wisen up and they do that, I'm probably going to take the generals to win it. We could see our first 30 point game. In, I know tonight that could be our first 30 point game between either one of the teams. I don't know, 31, 24, maybe. Yeah, so I, I don't know if you, you would track this at all, but initially when a lot of these over-unders came out for this league, they were all around the 53-54 mark. And I, then I think everyone remembered what happened with the XFL and the AAF yeah. where teams were not scoring at that yeah. level. They were not breaking 20 points. It was a real slog. And we saw those numbers drop uh, drastically from 53 down to 40. Um, and I was even tempted to, to take the over in the, the Generals game. They ended up going over. But I, I do think that... Um, the over could be a play in some of these games. I'm leaning towards the generals in this early first matchup because I think the generals are really trending in the right direction. I don't want to overreact to the Panthers turnovers, but I see Jeff Fisher throwing his quarterbacks around. I see these quarterbacks who I already have sort of informed opinions on, I think. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm a little biased myself. And I think judging, judging these guys a little harshly. So I'm going to go with the generals in that matchup. I'm with you. I'm with you on the generals for that one. So let's move on then to the Panthers uh, versus the Stallions. They play it Saturday at 7 p.m. What are you thinking there? Wait, I thought the Panthers were playing the Generals. Oh, sorry. The Gamblers versus the Stallions. Gamblers. The Gamblers. Okay. This will be an interesting one. I The Stallions looked better this last weekend, even though the Gamblers pulled out that victory. I did not like the way the Gamblers just completely went conservative mode in the second half. We saw comebacks this weekend, and there were a couple plays and, and not taking a bad sack by Shea Patterson away from giving up a 17 to zero lead. Um, And it's not, it's not mostly on the defense. I think just the Panthers offense started to pick things up and and stop being so sloppy. So I don't think that this defense is so dominant for the gamblers where they're just going to shut down Zamar Smith and the Stallions offense, especially if they played the way they did against the generals defense. I'm probably going to be leaning Stallions in this game. um, Barring them coming out and saying that Alex Magoo is going to be the starter. Then I might, (laughs) I think that I think it's going to be Stallions if Zamar Smith's out there on the field. 
I'm with you, uh, barring the return of Magoo. I'm, I think I'm going to take the over in this game, whatever it is. Uh, I just liked I liked how Smith was playing quarterback last week. Yeah. I think that's a fun brand of football. Um, and I think that the Stallions showed some weak spots in the secondary for me. Um, to me, I, I saw some things that um, the gamblers could take advantage of. It wasn't like they were necessarily prolific yesterday either. They were scoring a lot of points uh, on defense and special teams, sort of making those things work. But I do think that this could be a higher scoring game. Unfortunately, the, the over-unders don't come out until later in the week for this. So we won't really know what the line's going to be set at. I'm thinking anything, anything around uh, 42 to 48, I'm probably going to take the over. Yeah, and I think the more and more we get into the season, the offenses get more time together and more chemistry, and they, they get a little bit more buttoned up, we could see some high-scoring games. Because yeah. this whole nine-point rule and always being within reach at nine points could lead to some crazy back and forth. I mean, For sure. if it's 18 to say you hit three field goals, you're down 18 to nine, and you score, you get the three points, all of a sudden it's 18 to 18. Yep. Like, you're over-under potential just doubled. Yep. <laughs> I think that the the additional extra point variations here are going to yeah. be really helpful as we get later in the season and some of these offenses start mm-hmm. to gel. Um, and, and I think it could be a fun addition to sort of start playing those overs, especially where I think these lines are a little bit juiced down because people have low expectations for some of these yeah. quarterbacks. Um, yeah, so, so let's move on now to the stars versus the Maulers at Saturday at noon. Um, so tell me what you're thinking ahead of next week's stars, uh, Pittsburgh Mauler matchup. I mean, I got to get a full opinion on the Maulers. I'm not sure. Uh, if I have too much confidence in a receiving core, I think Kyle Laletta is going to be okay, but I think it's going to be a lot of movement in the pocket and trying to open guys up down the field. They have a uh, Bailey Gaither who I did some research on. He's pretty solid. I don't know how I feel about him being like pure wide receiver one when you're seeing guys like Sean Poindexter out here, or like I said, Lance Lenore, yeah. uh, Joe Walter, and now, you know, an emerging Randy Satterfield. I don't know how he compares to those kind of guys, but that that's kind of their premier weapon there. Um, I got to see what the Maulers look like first before I make a, a full distinction. But as of right now, I'd probably go with the stars there. I think Brian Scott is just going to get better and better and just build more consistency over time. We've seen him do it in other leagues before. We saw him do it in D2. Like we know what we're getting with him. At least we know yeah. he's going to be solid. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to make a play on this game. Um, I think that I, I want to know what Lillette is looking like. Um because for now, so much of my opinion of him, once again, is colored through this NFL lens where I remember yeah. when uh, Giants fans, I'm from New York, were calling <laughs> for this guy to replace Eli Manning. So uh, and obviously now he's not playing in the NFL. Yeah. So that, that worked out, Giants fans. Um, but let, let's move on now to the last game next week. It's hard to sort of prognosticate on this one because Tampa Bay hasn't played yet either. But it's the Breakers versus the Tampa Bay Bandits. What are you thinking? Your team has an opportunity to establish itself as a real contender. What are you thinking about next week? I think the Bandits are going to be good. We'll see yeah. tonight if they come through. I don't think the Maulers are just going to be a pushover team because of Laletta. I think he's going to keep them in the game. But if the Bandits are legit, they should take care of business tonight with Jordan Kiamu in at quarterback. Uh, we'll see. My breaker's going to take care of business. <laughs> the defensive line looked too good, and I think having an elite defensive line, and I said it when I saw it, they picked Davin Bellamy, and they picked Andre St. Amour. I was like, this team is trying to build a really good D-line because they know that especially early on in the season, it's going to be hard to go against a really good pass rush and a really good run stop and to scheme and play around. You're just going to have less op- limited options to go to, to try and beat that. That's the hardest thing to beat is when your quarterback's getting hit like Brian Scott was last week. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped for this breakers team and the way they've established the strengths of the team early. Hopefully Kyle Suter, who's a veteran in this game has been all around the NFL, been all on all kinds of NFL rosters, Puts it together. He looked like a vet out there. He looked calm. 
He didn't get too frustrated with things going wrong in the offense, and I like that, and they put it together at the end of the game. But hopefully he puts together a little bit better of a passing attack because that was the biggest weakness for the breakers, in my opinion, in the game was just the passing attack in general. Receivers dropping balls, Slaughter being off target or just missing his reads, being a little bit late on some reads. That's, that was the biggest things I saw from them. Again, we'll see what the bandits do tonight. They come out and they put the hurt on the Maulers. I might be a little worried. Might be a little worried. So I am thinking I'm going to take the breakers money line next week, whether it's a, an underdog or a favorite, whatever they are, I'm going to take the, the money line. Cause I think that people are overvaluing the bandits. People love Todd Haley. I have no idea why yeah. I am a Steelers fan. Todd Haley obviously did great things with that offense, but my man was an absolute super putz half the time. So now all of a sudden he's going to be this great leader of men. Like we didn't watch him be a complete tool bag on the uh, NFL hard knocks version of, of the Browns team where he was saying that he should be the next man up and everyone was laughing at him. I, I just don't, I'm not tracking this, that he's now all of a sudden the presumptive best head coach in this league. And I am going to bet against him at every opportunity I have. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take as many people as my, on my side as I can get. <laughs> all right. So thank, thanks so much, Mike, for joining the show. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Oh, uh, yeah. You guys can check me out. NFL Mike on TikTok, Mike on the Mike Sports on Instagram. And then I work with the Warzone Sports Network on YouTube. So all three of those platforms are the primary places where I'd be uh, making content and putting stuff out. I appreciate you for having me on, man. Thanks to NFL Mike for joining the show. Thank you for listening. I will be back next week uh, with a new guest to preview the NFL draft. Uh, we'll talk about betting some of the NFL draft odds, um, who's going to go top five over under certain pick totals. Uh, NFL draft is one of the weirder things to bet, but I'm really excited to sort of dive into it. So thanks as always for listening. Uh, be sure to leave five stars. It helps people find the show and uh, subscribe because I'll be coming back with more of these episodes over the course of the next few months.